Monster Kids. I'm your host, J. Michael Roddy, and I bid you welcome. So, you're asking yourself, what is a Monster Kid? A Monster Kid is someone who, at an early age, was exposed to great horror stories. Whether it's through classic films like Frankenstein and Dracula, The Wolfman, or literature, books, television, shows like The Addams Family, The Monsters, or magazines like Famous Monsters of Filmland and Fangoria. They are fans of Halloween, model kits, all manner of ghosts and ghouls. See, I am a monster kid. See, I was part of the early mid-70s craze of classic horror hosts. Mine was Dr. Paul Bearer. But see, I had to wait to see my favorite monster movies. Through the luck of Friday nights and Saturday afternoons, there was no internet or even cable, so these films became treasures that I would seek out. The images and stories, not readily accessible. If you want to know more about the original Monster Kid craze and the impact of it, check out my award-winning documentary, Monster Kids, The Impact of Things That Go Bump in the Night. Now, on with the show. This is the premiere episode, and today we have a special treat. No tricks. For our first guest, and in honor of the latest Halloween film slashing its way through the box office, we're talking with Ernie Magnata author of Halloween, The Changing Shape of an Iconic Series. Ernie hails from and still resides in the great state of New York. He's a writer and filmmaker and has written many articles, reviews, and done interviews for magazines such as Cinema Retro, Midnight Marquee, Scary Monsters, Multitude of Movies, We Belong Dead, and Space Monsters, all fantastic magazines that are required reading for any monster kid. He's also best known for his Big E's Bad Movies That Hurt So Good reviews, in which he lovingly goofs on his favorite drive-in films in order to show their unique entertainment value. In addition to being an associate producer on the low-budget zombie film Dead End, which of course stars legendary scream queens Linnea Quigley and Debbie Roshan, Ernie is currently working on a horror action comic book, and he will also write and direct his first independent horror feature sometime next year. Halloween, The Changing Shape of an Iconic Series is his first book. So let's welcome our very first guest on Monster Kids, Ernie Magnata. Ernie, how are you? Hey, Michael, I'm doing good. So let's just talk about this book. Oh my gosh, first off, thanks for being our very first guest on Monster Kids, and we'll get into that because I know you are a tried-and-true card-carrying monster kid. Oh, absolutely. Um, so tell us about the book. What what was your what was your reason behind it, other than just loving Halloween? Well, yeah, I've been a fan of the original ever since I saw it in nineteen seventy eight. But uh, I'm also a filmmaker, and um, over the years, Halloween was a big influence on me becoming a filmmaker and wanting to get into the business. And I wanted to know what made that film work. And it took me a long time, but over the years, I mean, it took a few decades, and I really studied it, and I read everything that I could on it. And I realized the filmmaking elements that uh, 
that really made that film the classic that it is. So what I decided to do with the book was to compare the sequels in a filmmaking way to the original and show how they differed uh, and uh, in the hopes that, I mean, I figured it would be an interesting read, but I also hope that maybe, I mean, this might sound a little ridiculous, but maybe it would even help future sequels to be a little even more entertaining than they already are. Uh, if that makes any sense, but absolutely, uh, yeah, that was yeah, that was the reason, the real reason behind it, and just wanted to write about the series, you know, especially the first few films. Well, and I just got to tell you from the cover, you know, the this piece of artwork. Now, who did this art? That's on the cover. Uh, a guy called the the Mad Butcher. Uh, he's he's a really a talented guy. I had found his. I had found uh, this poster online. I think a lot of fans were aware of it. It was a fan-made poster when the Halloween movie was going to be released around 2015 or 16. He did a fan-made poster. I thought it was beautiful. I think it's better than some of the ones that they've used for the series, actually. And uh, originally, I was just going to use it uh, as a photo in the book. And I contacted him, and he said, yeah, no problem. And uh, then we thought it would be better to use for the cover. And... He said it was no problem. You know, we went ahead with it. And, well, uh, I, I got to tell you, it's like it's such an atmospheric piece, and it captures what I loved about the 1978 film so much. And and we'll get into this why what I thought was possibly lacking. And I mean, I love the Halloween series. I I love the character of Michael Myers. And what was great, you know, just reading kind of your first introduction. Um, yeah. You and I are very similar in our Halloween experience. Um, I saw the trailer in 1978, uh, and I remember thinking it was possibly, you know, about a, a boyfriend or a husband coming home, you know, and uh. <laughs> which is hilarious because, I mean, the night he came home, we have no reference to other than Halloween and the night he came home. And I always remember right. that, that shot of him coming down the, the stairs that ended pretty much most of those trailers. And mm-hmm. it reminded me of... Uh, a uh, Dan Curtis telemovie at that point. I think it came out a couple of years before. I think it was called um, Michael. It was a follow-up to Trilogy of Terror, but it was this shot of this monstrous character coming down the stairs. But the way it oh, looked... Oh, yeah. It was Dead of Night, I think. Oh, yeah, on Dead of Night. Absolutely. But what I love is that, first off, I didn't see the original Halloween till Halloween 2. And I, I mm-hmm. just like you, and I remember seeing it on television. And you know, we, we lived in a time before there was uh, the ability to really record and see everything over and over and really study it. And you know, I remember when I was able to get the original Halloween on VHS and really just study those shots, um, and then right. discovering it when it was released widescreen, and discovering really the beauty of that film, the way it was shot. So let's let's talk a it little was, bit. Yeah, you know what? You're you're. It was amazing. I first got a hold of the laser disc, and I think it was 1994. Yeah. You know, I had no idea what we were missing. You know, on VHS all that time. You know. Yeah. Um, I remember. I think the first time I really noticed it was when he kills Nancy Loomis in the car. Yeah. And his head pops up in the back because on the videos I always had, you never saw him pop up. You just heard the music. Yeah. It seemed like the music was played too early, and then he kind of grabbed her. Yeah, well, and then there's also this when she's in the laundry room, on the video, like what we were used to, you never saw him in the background, you know, like there were all these little moments that that Carpenter so masterfully kind of created this this vignette effect and that the the shape was always at the outlying areas of that, always ready to to pounce when he needed to. So, 
so tell us a little bit. I, 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 I teased it, but tell us about the first time you saw Halloween and what it, how it affected you. Oh, wow. I saw it actually on Halloween night uh, with my mom and my younger brother, who at the time I think was only maybe like six or seven. So, you know, I'm like 10. And, you know, I had no idea what, and at this point, like you mentioned that I was a monster kid, you know, I had seen a lot of the Universal films, a lot of the Hammer films on television. Um, and as you know, those movies always end with the monster being destroyed and usually the happy couple walking off and when this movie ended with him gone, I was like, what? Yeah, I was really scared. But it was in a good way. The whole movie, it was, it was a weird feeling. When, when I went through the movie and I was afraid, and I was afraid of him, and I was totally on you know, the side of Laurie Strode. I identified with her. And, you know, it was just a fun adrenaline rush kind of uh, scare. It wasn't disturbing. It wasn't, uh, you know, a gross out. It was over, and yeah, I was afraid, but I wanted to. I wanted to like watch it again, even though I couldn't. I wanted to see it again. It took a while before I could actually see it again. Um, so many. I mean, just it, it, from beginning to end, it just holds you because the music starts with the opening credits. And then from the very beginning, we're following a POV, and it, it, there isn't a moment in that movie where you're bored because it could, he gets right into it. Carpenter. He kind of sets up what Michael is. Doctor Loomis tells us he never wants him to release. Boom, boom, he's, he's escaped. Then we meet the girls and we like them and he's constantly following them for the rest of the movie. The movie really never lets up. It just gets more and more intense as it goes along. And I couldn't keep my eyes off the screen. I mean, I just loved it and it just stayed with me from that moment on. Yeah, you, you talk about the fact that, you know, like myself, we, we grew up in a time where, you know, there was kind of this um, morality play going on with monster films and and you knew that no matter how bad it was it was a cathartic experience you knew at the end of it you were pretty sure that good would triumph over evil um right it, it's interesting to me that one of the first films i remember and i, I it, it really wasn't until i watched it later in life and it probably influenced carpenter quite a bit was the original um howard hawks the thing from another world right. which carpenter obviously Absolutely. remade but remember, at the end of that, it says the end, and if I'm not mistaken, then it says a question mark. At the, the end of the original thing? Yeah, it's like the end, and then that it was one of the first times I remember seeing that question mark. And it's, it's Yeah, I think they do that in the, in the blob also. Yeah, well, you think about that, and then you think about, well, that really was what this film was. I mean, at the end of Halloween, it was the question mark, but it was done so masterfully right. that, you know... It really terrified me seeing that because that shot of him just being gone and then hearing the breathing, it realized, you know, it, it put that sense of, oh my gosh, he could be anywhere, you know. And, and at that point, there really was no rhyme or reason why he chose Laurie Strode, why he was no. stalking her or any of that. And it just made it that much more terrifying. So that brings yeah. up a good point as we move forward, you know, and then we have uh, 1981's Halloween 2. Um, which was yeah. written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill and directed by Rick Rosenthal. So what are your thoughts on the very first sequel? Well, I'm a big fan of that sequel. I mean, I know part of it may have to do with nostalgia. I was still a kid, and I, it was a big deal. When that was being released, I mean, it was a big deal when that movie was coming out. I mean, slasher movies were still very huge. You know, there were a lot at that time because they were writing on the coat house of Halloween. Um but it was still a big deal, and I went, and I did enjoy it, but I remember even at that time thinking to myself, it was really good, but it wasn't as good as the original, and I was only about 13 at that point. Um, 
I, I think it's a great film. I think it feels a lot like the first stylistically. It really matches it, and no other sequel I don't think did. Yeah. Um, it's it, the shape is very scary. I know that they start to try to give a reason that he's after. You know, she's Laurie's his sister now, and but that really doesn't get revealed until the very end. So he's still just kind of this uh, has no really motive through the whole thing. He's just kind of again moving along and being scary and killing. And I found him very frightening in that one. Just those shots of him slowly roaming the hospital halls and those were creepy shots i remember going home that, that night and i was lying in bed thinking about it and i was scared you know just mm -hmm. they, they really did a good job of making him remain a frightening presence and i think that has to do a lot with the filmmaking techniques the over the shoulder shots the breathing mm -hmm. a lot of that wasn't done in, in the sequels as much and he didn't feel like he had that strong of a presence um I yeah, him agree. being revealed as, as him being revealed as brother and sister, I think hurt the rest of the series. But I don't think it hurt that film so much. And that film's really pretty creepy and well done. And I wish, I wish they, they, a lot of the sequels they had made more like Halloween Two, rather yeah. than the direction that they went. Um, I but I really love that sequel. Oh my gosh, yeah. I completely agree. Um, you know, it's interesting to me. I think about Halloween Two and. And it was also one of the first times that I remember a sequel picking up exactly at the end of another movie. I mean, it really was yeah. a continuation of that story. Um, I also applaud it as, as one of the best sequels to a horror film, especially in the horror genre. Like, you know, there's been so many sequels to all of those films, whether it's Nightmare on Elm Street and or Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. But the second one here really continued those stories and took it seriously. There really wasn't... Um, there wasn't a a turning away from the style. I, I love that they got Dean Coondy back. You know, I think he is yeah. one of the unsung voices of the Halloween series. Just that, you know, this the way he masterfully composites a shot along with John Carpenter. Um, mm -hmm. And, of course, it was written by Carpenter, so the language was right. It felt right for Lori, how she spoke. Although she doesn't talk very much in the film. But uh, one of the other things that I absolutely loved was just how he treated Loomis. You know, that Loomis yeah. actually now, if there was ever a shadow of a doubt, he now knew that Michael Myers was evil. Um, right. And that moment in the, in the school, um, I remember that just used to creep me out. The fact that Michael Myers at some point went back to his school was just creepy mm -hmm. to me. And then the whole kind of... Uh, explanation of Sam Hain and and bringing that into it that Michael Myers you know they would they would uh, sacrifice with fire kind of setting up what was to come and what Loomis needed to do um, yeah I agree with you I think it's it's a superb sequel now and that brings us to a complete departure uh, which uh, I, I know it's not Michael Myers how do you feel about Halloween 3 I love Halloween 3 I mean, I've always been a fan of it. Even when I first saw it, uh, I found out from a friend that it had nothing to do with the series. And yeah, I was disappointed at first. But then I saw it, and I liked it then. And then I think I watched it again a few years later, maybe in the later 80s. And I just really liked it even more. And I mean, I think it's very underrated. And I think that, I mean, this has been said before. I'm not the first person to say this. But if it was just called Season of the Witch, I think everyone would have enjoyed it. I think by now, it would have been considered a classic by now. Yeah. And uh, because it's Halloween 3, so many people dislike it, and it's just kind of irrational. But, I mean, I could see if there were no other Michael sequels, but he's been back quite a bit since then. Yeah. So I think if, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Don't don't listen to people who say it's not good. But um, 
it's a really, I mean, I think Tom Billy Wallace did a terrific job directing that film. Absolutely. Um, and again, again, Dean Cundey was back. I actually say this in the book. I feel that, uh, again, stylistically, the film does feel more like Halloween 1 and 2 than the rest of the Michael sequels do. I you know, agree. That's, it has the, yeah. Carpenter crew there. Yeah, well, and, and here's, too, what's, what I love about Halloween 3. I, I actually, when the film came out, I was disappointed that Myers wasn't part of the film. And I remember vividly sitting in the theater when they just show the advertisement for Halloween on TV as part of the the telethon, kind of the, um, the Silver Shamrock, yeah. and people like exploding in applause. And I was like, "Oh yeah, Michael Myers." But I, I honestly, you know, you think about films like Trick or Treat or Creep Show. I wonder if Halloween Three had been more of a hit. That would have been an interesting way to continue just different Halloween stories by that production crew or, or that, you know, Carpenter, almost kind of what he's doing with Tales of Halloween Night in the comics. Um, mm-hmm. But as we know, it, it pretty much killed Michael Myers returning for a while until 1988. And right. I remember, I didn't know Halloween 4 was coming. Um, again, you have to realize that both you and I, uh, to our our listeners, you and I come from a, a period where it was like it was magazines, um, very mm-hmm. rarely, or or like making of shows. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have that buzz that was happening so far in advance. So I remember sitting in a theater and just that kind of black um, screen, and then hearing that voiceover. And at first, I thought it was oh, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, but then. I heard that music, and I saw Loomis, and I saw the imagery, and it blew my mind. And I love Halloween 4. I have some issues yeah. with it just from a... I mean, I, I, I hate that they moved out of California to film. It doesn't look, it doesn't feel like Hanfield to me, and you go into that mm-hmm. in the book a little bit. But also, the, the tithe to it, though, is Loomis. Donald Pleasance came back with a vengeance, and I thought really held that film well... And, and the story, I mean, if you can't have Jamie Lee Curtis back, where would you have gone? And I thought that was good. Um, mm-hmm. I have issues, and, and I would love to talk to you about this. What What is your feel, just the stylistic kind of approach where every director after two seemed to need to change Myers in some way, whether casting uh, a hulking stuntman, which, again, felt more Jason, like, Michael Myers in Halloween 4 feels more like Jason Voorhees than he does Michael Myers to me. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It seemed like they did that for a while. It seemed like 4, 5, and 6, they casted these really big actors, um, George Wilbur and Don Shakes. You know, I mean, I, I think that they were, they were terrific as as these hulking killers. It's just not what Michael was supposed to be. Michael was basically average-sized, and uh, I, think, I think Nick Castle, who played him in the original was five foot ten. You know, yeah. He was just an average size guy. And um and you know, Michael was more I guess like a phantom, you know, he would kinda glide in and out of frame and here he just seemed very angry in those those later sequels, like Jason, and there was really no reason for him to be angry. Um and of course the mask seemed to change in every uh in every sequel, which I I love that original mask. I think if you really grew up with the first two films from that era like we did, I think you you have these expectations when you go in that you want to see these certain visuals and the stylistic feel. And a lot of the times they just didn't accomplish that with the sequels. I mean, they, 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 there's a lot of good stuff about it. And I agree with you after Halloween too. 
I think Halloween 4 is the next best sequel. I think they really tried to stay respectful to Carpenter's film. Mm-hmm. And I think that they did in, in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think the main problem is his look and um, trying to think what else in that film. Um, well, of course, the fact that he's after a family member, but that's not their fault. That was the fault of part two yeah. that started that storyline. But uh, all in all, that's a pretty solid film. I think it was very well written. I mean, the characterization in that is terrific. You know, the, between the characters of uh, Jamie Lloyd and, and um, the sister. I mean, I thought they were, they were just, I believe that they were a family. I thought mm-hmm. that they, the, the actors did a great job. I and, agree. Uh, from what I heard, that was written in 11 days. That's quite a feat to come up with something as far as that. Well, and it, amount of time. the thing that was great, though, is it does feel like, it's in the Halloween lore. It's in the mythology that was created with that first film, whether you, you know, and I think I honestly, I do think that Loomis as a character really grounded that. I think he is so important to that. Um, You know, and obviously that's why they kept getting him back. I think they knew he Mm -hmm. he was an anchor to the legitimacy of those films. Um, So, and also I just, the opening of Halloween four feels like Halloween. I love the opening, and I love the thing that we should talk about too is the music. I, I very rarely like. I love the score for the original Halloween so much because mm-hmm. I I've never next to Psycho and Jaws, it's something and and Superman. I mean, it's one of those things that you listen to the music and you hear the content. Jaws, you can yeah. picture the shark. Psycho, you can. Sure. It's it's it it's totally the murder. The thing I love about that first Halloween theme is when you hear it is it feels like a flickering candle, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and then just the, the haunted house theme and Laurie's theme are all so atmospheric and just feel like a cold fall night, you know. Um, That's beautiful. So, and I thought Halloween 4, I mean, even though Carpenter wasn't back, Alan Haworth was, and he was fantastic. I think that has some amazing cues. And I used to, when I got that CD the first time, I remember that kind of pumped up version when the 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 citizens of Haddonfield, kind of the rednecks with the guns, were going to get Michael Myers, and there was this kind of dun 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 dun, dun just a march. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was so cool. Yeah. Um, and then that brings us to probably my least favorite, if not my second least favorite, which is Halloween Five. How do you feel about five? Yeah. And how does it yeah. compare? Like, where did it... After I saw four, um, I, I said, okay, you know, I, I didn't love four when I first saw it. I, like I said, over the years, it grew on me more. Um, I said, well, let's see. They have maybe a little more time now. They're going to do five. I, I, so I said, I'll go. I'll take a look and see what happens. And, yeah, I mean, I'll admit... Um, I do like the director's visual style, even though it's not exactly maybe the style of Halloween, not completely anyway. There are some sequences that are great. The beginning where where Michael uh, is stalking Rachel in the bedroom, um, that goes on for quite a while. And it's very much like the first film because he doesn't do it. He doesn't strike. We keep thinking, oh, he's just going to grab her now. And he, it goes on for a while. He's playing games. He's in the closet. He walks out. He doesn't attack her, you know. Uh, most movies wouldn't do that, but like the first movie, you know, did. He was, he watched uh, Nancy Loomis, the Annie character, for quite a while before killing her. So that reminded me a lot of the original film. Um, my problem with it, which I'm sure many fans of the series have a problem with, is this started the complications. This started the tattoo, the thorn tattoo on his mm-hmm. wrist. 
and the man in black, which, you know, the filmmakers have admitted that they had no clue what any of this meant. They just wanted to get people to stay interested to come back for Halloween 6, which I'm guessing they had planned to release, like, the next year, but it didn't come out for about six years. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, Halloween uh, is a movie that doesn't need to be sequelized, of course. Carpenter never won. Yeah, you know, he didn't have Michael Gahn because he wanted to make a second one. It was part of the film's theme, Evil Never Dies. He was trying to get that point across. Um, but, of course, there have been sequels, and, you know, I mean, I'm glad they were fun. But um, after you do this for a while, I think then you have to start supplying explanations, or at least you feel like you do, or the audience is going to not want to come back. So I think that was the main problem, is that they started to add to his mythology rather than trying to change the plot a bit. to make You know, I don't know if any of the fans listening are fans of the Jason films, the Friday the 13th, but in the book, I mentioned how even though the Jason films really are, are a ripoff of the Halloween films and, and its style, they're both very simple films, the original Halloween and the original Friday the 13th. They're very similar in their structure and they're very simple. And as they made more Friday the 13th sequels, they didn't change Jason's character. He stayed pretty much the same. They changed other elements. One was one movie was in 3D. Another, he was supposed to be killed, but of course he comes back. Mm-hmm. You know, another, uh, you know, he fights a, a girl who has telekinesis like Carrie. You know, they changed that part and they left Jason the same. And I think that worked better. I think Michael should always remain mysterious. I and, completely you know, agree. Well... And that, Tim, you know, you bring up a great point. The original Halloween and Halloween 2, there was an element to me which was trick-or-treat. He wasn't just a senseless killer. He he played cat and mouse. It was kind of like he waited. It was yeah. it was like a tensionizer. You never knew what he was going <laughs> to do. And, you know, that let the audience go, he's in the house somewhere. And then he'd be somewhere else and you'd be like, oh, my gosh, he didn't kill them. He moved over here to kill them later. And then the fact of what he did with the bodies afterwards to kind of, again, it was trick or treat. That's what I always thought it was. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He seemed actually in the first movie, he seemed like he enjoyed playing with the victims more than even killing them. Absolutely. Like, okay, I've had enough. I'll kill them now. But he seemed like he was enjoying himself more beforehand. Very much so. The fact that he was able to set things up knowing that, oh, I wonder if this character is going to, uh, you know, if this, I'm, I'm stalking this person and I, you know, I've done this and I've set this up and, oh, I stole the headstone and, oh, I know, I'll carry the headstone up there. It, all of that yeah. just, you know, when you really start thinking about it, it's like, oh, my gosh, it, it really kind of is unsettling thinking that this person spent that much time really just stalking. Um, exactly. I mean, I love that. That's the thing. I, I mentioned that in the book, too. I mean, there are so many scares in the original film that you kind of use your imagination rather than just seeing him jumping on someone and stabbing. You don't ever see anything like that, really. But, I mean, you take the part with P.J. Souls. I mean, the door opens and he has the sheet over his head. And it's a scary image on its own. But then you think, you know, he just killed her boyfriend. Yep. He, he looked around the house for a sheet, put it on, cut holes in it, took the boyfriend's glasses, the dead guy's glasses, put them on, walked up the stairs to her. And she has no idea. She thinks it's it's the boyfriend. Yeah. I mean, that's all scary. And you imagine that and you get those, you know, the, the hair stand on the back of your neck. You know, I mean, that's good stuff. Uh, absolutely. So that brings us to the fact, you know, Halloween 5 opened one year after Halloween 4. They really rushed that, it seemed. Um, and I agree yeah. with you. I think stylistically, there's a great kind of interesting look to it. Um, 
But I, I it it left so many things at the end of that. You're like, well, I don't know what's going on anymore. You know, and I, right. I actually remember like, oh, I wonder if this is going to really tie into um, the original novelization, um, which kind of really talked about kind of this, the, the Celtic traditions and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then we waited quite a while for Halloween 6. Uh, at one point, I remember seeing a trailer, I think it was called Halloween 666. Um, right. You know, and and talk a little bit about the difference. And it seemed like they really were trying to to make that film stand alone and do it well, tie everything up, but also just be an effective thriller. What do you think about Halloween Six? Um, the theatrical version again. I saw the theatrical version when it was released, and uh, I didn't like it when I saw it. Um, and it didn't really grow on me over the years. I thought it was really. I thought it was the worst sequel at that time. Since the uh, producer's cut was released in, I believe, 2014. I, I mean, I enjoyed that film. I think uh, when it's compared to the original, no, it's not anywhere near what Halloween should be on its own. I think it's solid and much better than the theatrical version. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very mo- moody and gothic. I mean, I, I love the new ending, which was the original ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes a little more sense, at least. And we have much more Donald Pleasance, which I always love to see. Sure. Um, I, I think the screenwriter on that film had, you know, had it really tough because he had to answer all those questions set up in five, which is not easy to do in a film that's supposed to be as simple as Halloween should be. Um, so, you know, I don't at all, you know, blame him for that. It's just, um, you know, it just had to be done. And he did, I think, the best job probably that could have been done. Um, like I say, when compared to the original, it's it's not good. But on its own, if you're going to watch six, I would recommend the producer's cut. And it's a fun, it's, it's an atmospheric little film. It's, it's, it's really not that bad. Yeah. I also, the thing I really liked about it and, um, is it, it was well acted. There's some really oh, yeah. great actors that ultimately ended up having it quite well. Paul Rudd as you know, this really was his first feature. And I thought the idea of touching upon Tommy Doyle was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, I really love that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we kind of had to wait a little bit. And then we got what I thought was going to be just amazing. Um, and it, it was. It, at that time, I will say uh, Halloween, um, well, H2O, even though I hate that title. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, and, and I also didn't like the fact that the movie came out in August. I don't know if you remember that or not, but the fact that. I do remember. Yeah, I think that kind of started that trend for a while. Yeah, which um, I didn't like at all. But the idea that Laurie Strode was going to be back was was great. Um, he, but then it kind of tied in that it it was it was Laurie Strode, but she had changed her name and it didn't really reference anything that came before it. Um, bothered mm-hmm. me a little bit. But I remember getting I think it was Kevin Williamson did the original treatment for it, and there and let's talk a little bit about this. There there was originally. A secondary character that would have been not necessarily the Loomis character, but the hunter, which I think was always important. Um, and I believe they actually cast the, the the actor Charles Dutton to play that role, but he was the the detective. And I think they replaced him at the beginning of the film where he says, you know, I'm 60, Michael Myers would be 60 years old or what have you. And he's like, well, yeah. I'm, I was 
I was 15 when Michael Myers, you know, killed that. T- you know, mm-hmm. I, I love what was in that script with that character. I thought it was a missed opportunity to not have that. But the film was obviously fun. It felt right. The Michael Myers looked right, although the mask changes here and there. Um, tell us what your thoughts are on, on H2O. Well, one thing, um, before I get into it, what you're saying about that sort of character that should have been in there, I think you're absolutely right, because I think what, after Six, what a lot of the movies were missing was uh, Dr. Loomis. You need Loomis to give the audience information about Michael, to make him creepy before Michael even does anything. You know, in the first film, I mean, yeah, we see him stab his sister, He's, he's a little boy, but, you know, then Loomis does his dialogue with the nurse and we're already getting creeped out I, I you know he's calling michael he's referring to him as it instead of him and he's saying i never want him released you know ever and all and then of course he is released and so before michael really even does anything we're already like terrified of him. and i think you always need that you need to build his character that way and uh and that sets up the scares well and they they didn't have that in uh h2o and resurrection they tried to do it in resurrection and they did, used comedy and it was just really wrong um, H2O uh, H2O was one that I seem to always had a little bit of a problem with I don't know if it's because of my love so much for the first one and maybe expecting too much because Laurie Strode was back and played by Jamie Lee um, or if it was just I mean I don't want to come off as one of these haters I know a lot of people dislike Scream and that, that era uh, I, I don't hate it I mean I think they were very entertaining films I think the first scream and the second one was very well done. I mean, you know, even though even if it's not the, the style that I would have went in, I still think that they were well done. But I don't think that that approach was right for Halloween film. You know, they did a lot of self-referential stuff like Scream did, and I just think it was wrong for a Halloween film. So I didn't like that. Um, my main problem is that, uh, you know, Michael is supposed to be that eternal force of evil. Uh, that Carpenter was trying to tell us in the original that evil never dies, and of course he's killed in this film. And I know in the next film it's revealed that he wasn't, and I know that they had that set up already, mm-hmm. but the movie ends that he's dead, that he's beheaded, and of course he's not supposed to die. So that, I think, was, was kind of wrong. Mm-hmm. And Laurie's big, Laurie Strode's big trade in the original film was her power of sight. She was the only one who really saw him. You know, of course Loomis did and the little boy Tommy, but everyone else was oblivious. Even when they were looking at him, they didn't know there was a problem. Annie and Linda thought, oh, it's just a guy at school playing a prank. Laurie knew something's just not right. I mean, I don't think she thought he was a, a killer, but she knew something was wrong. She doesn't have that. She never sees him in this film until the third act. So that kind of stuff bothered I know everyone else watching the film doesn't care about that stuff. I'm probably the only nut who does, but uh, that, that part of it. And he just didn't seem like as much of a presence to, to me as he should. There were no over-the-shoulder shots. There was no heavy breathing. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember uh, there was just a lot of shots of his shadow on the wall a lot. I wish, I just felt a lot more could have been done. It seemed like they put all of the effort into Laurie's character, which they should have put all that effort in. But he he seemed like he was a bit neglected to me, the Michael yeah. character. You know, you, you, you bring up a point like we might be the only ones that care about that. I'm sure most of our listeners are nodding their heads agreeing because... I mean, again, Halloween H2O was a big hit, and it was great to have Michael Myers back in theaters, but at the end of it, you kind of left, and you were like, well, was that really Michael Myers? It was almost like Myers was the secondary character, 
And there were some yeah. things that also are a product of the 90s that I call it, you, you said you brought up Scream, but it was very Dawson's Creek meets Halloween. Um, yeah, it was. And the LL Cool J, I, I, you know, I, LL Cool J has done some amazing things, but again, it, it, it just felt like, okay, he's he's playing to the camera, he's, take, he's not taking this seriously, it's self-referential. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that Michael Myers did die at the end of it, you know, we didn't know at that time that there was Halloween resurrection coming, and right. I actually do remember it was like, Wow. Okay. Um, you know, it 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 was very much a product of the that mid nineteen ninety sensibility when those films like you know Teaching Mrs. Tingle and uh, yeah and those Dawson's Creek again that's what it felt like. And yeah. I mean, again, it was fun to see him back. And then I remember Halloween Resurrection, hearing the idea for Halloween Resurrection, and knowing that Rick Rosenthal was coming back. I was so excited. I really Me truly too. was. Um, the idea, uh, you know, of it being kind of this reality TV show and the camera and everything, I was like, wow, this could be really, really great. And mm-hmm. I don't know about you. I mean, we can talk about what you said in the book, but man, did they miss the mark. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was the same as you. I was really, when I heard Rick Rosenthal, I was like, oh, man, because all I was thinking about was that style and atmosphere of Halloween, too. And, you know, I love that. I love that three shot that he does with, with um, Mr. and Mrs. Elrods when Michael steals the knife. I love oh, that, yeah. that yeah, shot yeah. of him in the back holding a knife. Want some mayonnaise um, on your sandwich? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Uh, but yeah, no, he did. I don't know what happened, but he didn't seem to. He didn't seem to, to bring that style with him on this film. I don't know why that is, but I mean, he didn't have Dean Cundy with him either, but yeah. I thought still something, some of that would have existed, but it just didn't. Um, that being said, I know that fans have a lot of problem with Resurrection, and so do I. Um, but I also say in the book, it, it it's funny because that film started to kind of try to get things back on the right path. I hate the opening because Laurie Strode is killed and that should not happen. The only good thing that comes out of that is that Michael now has no family left and he's back to being a random killer, which is what happens in the film. He goes back home. Right. The kids come to his house, you know, to do the show and that's it. He starts killing again. So he's not he's not, you know, a family killer anymore. He's that sort of mysterious shape. Um, so I like that and I like the fact that he remained mysterious. You know, he was more simple and what changed was the plot. Instead mm-hmm. of him stalking babysitters, and now we had a reality show in his house, which at the time, I mean, that was pretty timely, and I thought that was a great hook. Yeah. You know, and I think that I think that's how they should approach. I think each sequel really shouldn't continue from the next one. I think that, I mean, from the last one, excuse me, I think that they should always be their own film. It should just start with a new group of characters, a, another random Halloween. He doesn't, he doesn't have to come back every year. He appears and stalks these new people, mm-hmm. and... And, and the plot should be the hook, a new plot, like the reality show. I thought that was really inventive and great. Yeah. Well, and it also, the film, he felt, he looked and felt more like Myers than he had in a while, which was great. Yeah, it's true. Um, right. I just, to me, I, the the casting of Busta Rhymes and Tyra Banks yeah. really ruined that movie. And, you yeah. know, the necessity to make Busta Rhymes this kind of heroic character and almost kind of like Loomis is providing information you know but the the 
the moment where he has the mask on is laughable to me. Um, and then the, yeah. the cheap shot, which I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, the fact that they put the, the jumper cables, you know, into his genitalia and everything. I'm like, really? And, mm-hmm. um, I know, but I, again, um, it, it's not, it's not terrible, but I mean, it's, it's getting there. It's getting, it's getting, it's moving us slowly back in the right way. And then, yeah. um, and then we completely take a left turn and reboot the entire series with Rob yeah. Zombie, and uh, I, I'm I'm fascinated to hear your. I, I mean, I've read it in the book, and it's fantastic. But, but kind of tease our our listeners into your your uh, your thoughts about that. Well, um, the first thing I should say about it is that. When I found out, I remember when I found out that they were going to remake Texas Chainsaw, which I believe was the, the movie that started all these remakes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they're remaking Texas It just didn't make sense to me. I was like, why would you just watch the original? It's so great, the original. And you want to be you know, terrified, watch that one. I did actually wind up enjoying that remake. Not, I liked the first one better, the Toby Hooper version, but I thought that they really did a pretty good job making a, a pretty terrifying horror movie with that film. But anyway... I knew it was only a matter of time before Halloween was going to be remade. Uh, when I heard that it was going to be, I figured I would be the first person to start yelling and screaming and getting all upset. I found out Rob Zombie was doing it, and then I thought, oh, well, wait, maybe, you know, okay, let's wait and see. So I went, and, um, well, my thought on it, and I say this in the book, is that I really wish that, like Halloween 3, that this wasn't called Halloween and it was just another movie. It wasn't Michael Myers and it wasn't Laurie Strode and Dr. Loomis. I wish that it was just a Rob Zombie slasher film because I think done that way, uh, everyone would have enjoyed it because it would have just been a Rob Zombie slasher and it would have really, it was, I, I still find the film very interesting to watch and I think it's going to have a life as the years go on. Mm-hmm. It's just not Halloween at all. It shouldn't, it's not what Halloween is supposed to be. And that's the problem, and that's why it's so disliked by so many fans, and I totally understand that. But unbelievably, I didn't hate the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I'm kind of like in the middle. I'm kind of like, it's, I totally agree that it's not Halloween. Yeah. But I like the movie on its own. I wish it was just a slasher film and not a Halloween film. Yeah, I, I, I'm not as hard on, on Rob Zombie's Halloween as I know some fans are. Uh, again, I don't yeah. think it's, it's, it's not John Carpenter's Halloween. It's Rob Zombie's uh-huh. Halloween, and you know it's almost kind of like I come from a theater background. So when a different director gets a, a hold of a, a piece that you know pretty well, or you know, and they change things, or they bring in different casts and things like that, that's always how I kind of viewed it. And I'll tell you, when the announcements were coming out, the the fact that Malcolm Mc, McDowell, I was like, wow, that okay. Okay, I can see that. I, I that was a surprise to me that I didn't expect, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, he could be a great Doctor Loomis." But then he played him completely different than than what I think the character was supposed to be. You know, he played him a yeah. little more hip and and kind of like, "Hey, I'm the cool Doctor, the New World Doctor," and um, yeah. you know. And then also they made Michael Myers again. He was a threat from the first time you saw him. Uh, I mean, That's right. 
uh, you know, as a little kid, you saw, okay, I felt bad for him. All the, his lifestyle, and like, well, of course he became a killer. You know, there's no supernatural quality to it at all. The He's a product no. of, of terrible uh, upbringing. But then when you see him and he grows up, you're like, well, oh my gosh, that's like a Mack truck. Um, right. So it didn't feel like, oh, here's this stealthy guy that could be hiding in the shadows. It's like, no, the, Tyler Maine's Michael Myers is hiding nowhere. It's He's he's yeah, a tree. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, I enjoyed parts of it. Um, uh, and then to me is, is, I just don't even know how to comment on Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Um, how do you think it compares? I, st- I don't think uh, that... That I all I could say about it is it, it almost feels, and I don't want to say this because I don't know. I mean, you have to ask Rob Zombie, obviously, yeah. but it seems like he went out of his way to not make a Halloween film with that one. At least in the, the remake, sure, Michael's character—he was a flesh and blood human, like you said, he was the product of a terrible home life and upbringing. Um, but it still felt like we were in the world, the, the universe of Halloween. You know, we had the music, we had the mask, we had. Laurie, the babysitters we had Haddonfield even filmed it in some of the locations that Carpenter filmed. Uh, This one, I mean, we had no Halloween music except at the end credits, which you know by then the movie's over. Uh, He barely wore his mask when he did. You know, a big chunk of it was missing. He wore a hood and a jacket. Um, Laurie was uh, so, so depressing to watch her character what had become to her. Yeah, uh, it was it was even hard to watch Loomis. At least he was a little humorous, but yeah. Uh, and as usual, I mean, it was just extremely brutal. Yeah. You know, the killings were just brutal beyond belief. It almost and felt to me like it almost felt like to me like he had turned Michael Myers into one of the Firefly clan from um, from you know yeah. uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. Which I I love those films, but that's just not good for Halloween, right? You know? Well, you know, there's. It's interesting because there's a scene in the original House of a Thousand Corpses that takes place the day after Halloween, and it mm-hmm. captures that 1970s Halloween so well that I was really excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, he knows this. He knows this era so well. This will be great. Um, right. So then, Halloween's gone. Uh, I mean, you know, we heard rumors of maybe a Halloween 3D, and that went away. And and lo and behold, last year we heard Halloween is coming at first it was mm-hmm. a sequel then it was well it's a sequel to the very first film or no it was a sequel to the first two films then it was just a sequel yeah. to the first film and Laurie Strode is back and all of these things and they just ignore everything um I, how did you feel first off how do you feel about the the film and then how do you feel like did it did it really betray the rest of these the series other than the first one? I mean, it kind of ignores everything. Um, let's see. Uh, I thought that this film was going to be better than it was. Um, I didn't hate it by any means, uh, but when I started to see the trailer, well, first of course we all knew Carpenter was going to be executive producer, and right then, you know, I was like, oh man, I can't believe he's. You know, I didn't think he was ever going to come back to the series. Then they announced Jamie Lee coming back as Laurie, and I was like, what? You know, I couldn't believe it. And then Nick Castle was back for, like, a cameo. I believe that's his breathing we hear in the film. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was just like, okay, I think, you know, this might be, 
you know, I kept hearing Carpenter saying that the filmmakers, you know, they get it, they understand what he did in the first one. And I mean, some of that is in there, but um, I, a, a problem, let me see. The, first of all, it seemed like we did this already with H2O in a way. Yeah. You know, except that this time she was the hunter. I mean, obviously in H2O, she was frightened and on the run. And that didn't happen until the end of the film when she finally went back to, yeah. to go after him. This one, this one, she's praying for him to come so that she could kill him, you know, that kind of thing. But we've still kind of been there with Laurie. I think, I think as much as I, I love Laurie and I would want her back, I think we shouldn't really do anything else with Laurie Strode because I, I think that's about it. That's, there's nowhere else to go with that character. No. Um, but, but with that being said, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was excellent in that film. Regardless of what the story, I mean, what she had to play, she did a beautiful job. I mean, mm -hmm. she, and that, that's no surprise anyway. Um, I didn't like the thing with the new doctor at all. I thought that was just Hollywood nonsense with him killing the cop and putting the mask on. That was just silly. Yeah. You know, I didn't like any of that. Um, the problem I had was, uh, you know, it was great. Michael was back to being random. They weren't even related anymore. That was terrific that they said that that was just a rumor and that mm -hmm. wasn't true. Um, what I didn't like was, you know, I don't want to give any of it away too much in case some of the viewers haven't seen it, but um, you know the part where the babysitter is, is babysitting the little boy? Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm trying to keep in mind I've only seen this film once, where the rest of the series I've seen a bunch of times, so I, I have to really look at it again when it comes out on Blu-ray, but... Um, we didn't have any scenes, did we, of him like kind of like stalking Laurie's granddaughter and her friends, like he stalked, you know, Laurie and Annie and Lyndon. No, like, not at all. There. In fact, um, he was just suddenly there, right in the house. Right. There was no stalking at all in this film. In fact, it almost seemed like it was a mistake that he ran into different people. Like he never, he never stalked uh, Laurie's granddaughter at all. He never stalked the family, um, and. You know, it, it almost, it, oh gosh, I, I wanted to love that film so much. I do love the music. I think the music's good, um, obviously. Oh, yeah, but, you know, first and foremost, the thing you brought up was the doctor. Um, you're yeah. never going to replace Dr. Loomis. I, I, I wonder why they felt the need, like, oh, you have to have that doctor in here. They gave him an odd accent. And then he becomes almost like a Bond villain with like a Q gadget where he has a pen that has a scalpel in it, you know, yeah, and, right. I forgot about that. and then he becomes the madman of, oh, I wanted, I've been wanting to see why he killed, you know, and it's just like, all right, that's where the film really, truly lost me. Um, yeah. The other stuff, I mean, the opening, it, it felt, it felt good. It felt like, okay, this is really a Halloween film and you're absolutely right. Yeah. Laurie you know, Jamie Lee Curtis n nailed it and was fantastic. It was, what a great opportunity to see her progress with that character. And um, mm -hmm. I loved, and I wish they had done more with the Will Sandon deputy character, because I thought he was actually going to be kind of that voice of Loomis, especially when he's like, we're not, we're not capturing him. We're going to kill him. I'm going to blow his head off. Yeah. I thought that was like, right. wow, that's great character. Um, you the, the, the you thing, know what I felt though? Well, uh, Michael, I, I always felt that as I was watching that film was that we didn't really need the doctor because I felt really, in a way, that Laurie was kind of Loomis. Exactly. Because exactly. she was the one who was telling everyone, you know, the boogeyman's real. He's yeah. out there. Yep. 
uh, and you should believe in them. And that's, you know, what was happening. Kind of Loomis was telling everyone that in a way in the original. Yeah. And she learned that at the end. Lori did. And now she's doing that. And of course, she's the one who's hunting them in a way. So yeah. we really didn't need anybody else. But they, I guess they wanted to put another doctor in. Yeah, I, there was I even mean, a moment, there was a moment, wasn't there, where she says to the doctor, "You're the new Loomis." Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like they needed to put that in. Like, oh, I know who you are. You're the new Loomis. I, and I kind of yeah. I was like, I don't. Uh, okay, I guess if it's like you're really relying on that. Um, the the other aspect of it, I think they really created the doctor just to, although Myers could have escaped from the bus from some other way. I, you know, the idea that first and foremost, you get the idea that the, the doctor let him escape from the bus. He's the reason the bus crashed. But then he gets yeah. randomly shot, which is weird. I, there was just a lot of things that just, I was like, okay, I don't understand where that's going. The biggest one that I was hoping would have been more kind of the through line is they spend so much time and effectively setting up these these interviewers, right? Uh, which felt mm-hmm. real in a product of 2018. Yeah. But then, you know, spoiler alert, they kill them both. And I was I was always hoping that, oh, well, one of them will show back up and be kind of the voice of, like, we've been studying this and here's the missing piece of what will help you, you know, understand Loomis because we've been studying him. I thought that yeah, would have been... Yeah, that would have been a better way to go, I think. Yeah, but... Um, and then, you know, the end of it, I, I didn't... I didn't cheer because, again, I felt they cheated, like, okay, he's not gone, but... I don't know if I want another Halloween. I say that now. I'm sure I'll go see it and buy the soundtrack. Yeah. And, you know, we'll be talking, you know, a year and a half from now. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> I think I read that they're starting production. Well, they're starting, you know, pre-production or writing it or something. Well, I don't know. Well, and, and they'll have our money. So, uh, yeah. But I just, again, back to your book. This is, uh, for the listeners, this is a fantastic read. Um, if you are even just a marginal fan of Halloween this is a book that belongs on your library. If you are a super fan like me, you need this book. It's beautifully, beautifully written. Uh, so much care and feeding into this book. And then also just the photos. It's a great collection to have. Uh, can t- tell, tell folks where they can get the book. Uh, you can. It's available on Amazon.com. But if you want to get uh, signed copies by me, you can go to my website, which is www.halloweenchangingshape.com and I'll be happy to sign them for you any way you'd like. That's fantastic. Now with a little bit of time we have left, let's let's delve into what you and I really, you know, the name of this podcast and and what kind of helped us connect is we're monster kids. And Oh, absolutely. You know, t- um Tell uh, tell our listeners a little bit about why you're a monster kid. What what was uh what was the what was the the monster in the dark that drew you out and made you love things that go bump in the night? Well, uh, let's see. I couldn't have been more than five years old because this happened in our old house, and we moved. When we moved, I was five, so I couldn't have been more than five. I remember. I think it was a weekend, and the TV was on. I walked into the living room. My dad was. My dad was watching TV. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He wasn't. He was actually flipping around the television. Uh, at that time, we didn't even have a remote, so he was standing up, turning the knob. And I saw I saw uh, sort of a, uh, you know, a wooded area, like a forest. It was very foggy. And I saw some a man limping. 
and he looked like he was there was something was wrong with him. He was in pain. I asked my dad what that was. He told me, "Oh, that's the Wolfman." And I wound up watching the rest of it. It was the original Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. And I, I think that was the first actual monster film that I watched. Probably, if if that wasn't the first, the first was Abbott and Costello v. Frankenstein, which I don't think there's any monster kid who doesn't love that film to death. Mm. Um, and I just, from that moment on, I don't know, I mean, I can't remember exactly because it's so long ago, but I just remember trying to get issues. This was in the 1970s. There was still a big interest in the creature features at that time because the the uh, the modern horror was just kind of starting, you know, with The Exorcist and Chainsaw and Jaws. And they were still, I mean, here in, I'm, I'm in New York, and they used to play these old monster films every weekend. I mean, from, from Friday to Sunday, there were at least 10 to 12 films on. Uh, and I would try to watch them all. I would be checking the checking the TV guide, and I would be buying Famous Monsters of Filmland when I could. I was putting together the aurora model kits that glow in the dark of frankenstein and the wolfman and dracula and i just loved them i remember even being in school and we'd have that book fair and kids would be buying you know of mice and men and this and that and i'd buy whatever monster book they had and they did at least have one or two and mm -hmm. i would buy them and read them and i still have them yeah and uh, i just i just love i mean anything to do with that and you know my dad knew a lot of that stuff so he would tell me you know, stories about Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi and all those great guys. And I just love them to death. Oh, that's fantastic. So, you know, as, as you've grown up a monster kid and we've, we've lived through the, the slasher era and the ghost era and the zombie era, you know, it, it's interesting to me. I, I always ask um, anyone that's a monster kid this. Do you ever think that we're in danger of becoming extinct as monster kids? Um, there are times when I do, the funny thing is, is there's so much out there still. I mean, I actually write for a few magazines that cater just to those, to those, uh, films, mm -hmm. you know, magazines like We Belong Dead and Scary Monsters and Monster Bash, uh, that they don't, they don't even cover the, 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 the modern stuff from the mid seventies on. They kind of stop there. Mm -hmm. Um, and there, and there are more, those are just three that I know of, but there are a lot more. I think there's Freaky Monsters, uh. Of course, Famous Monsters is, I think, that's still around, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Famous, yeah, it's still there, it's around. So, I mean, um, a lot of great conventions that cater to it. Um, yeah, maybe it's not as popular as it was. I don't think I don't think we're in danger yet of it going away, totally. But, uh, you know, I think it's just, it's up to people like you and me and other, you know, older fans who love it to try to keep it alive in certain ways. You certainly have with that uh, amazing documentary that you made, which I hope everybody sees. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I, and I'm, I'm going to try and I'm hope, hope, hoping to have a book out about a lot of this stuff in the next year or so. So, yeah, I think we got to just keep plugging away in that way. And, and I think there are a lot of younger fans who would be interested in it. Not all, but I think some. You know, when I was a kid in the 70s, most of my friends had no interest in, you know, Ghost of Frankenstein or anything like that. But I, I did. So I'd be watching the current stuff with them. And then I'd go off on my own and I'd, you know, put on Channel 9 here and I'd watch, you know, all that old, the great stuff. I mean, it was gone constantly, you know. Well, this has been a fantastic, fantastic hour. I really appreciate your time. Guys, go out and get this book. And one more time, thank you so much, Ernie. This has been fantastic. The book is Halloween, The Changing Shape of an Iconic Series. And we'll talk to you or... As we like to say, we'll be lurking for you next time. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you.
one of my favorite things to do is light a candle and let the aroma fill my workspace. I also love theme parks. Now, have you ever wished that you could take a sense memory trip aboard some long gone attractions like Jaws or Confrontation? What about walking through the woods of the E.T. adventure? Well, you're in luck. Our friends, Sean, Jen, Ryan, and Nicole at Theme Park Alchemy have created the perfect item. They have four candles that bring you the iconic smells of Jaws, Confrontation, the E.T. Adventure, and their newest, Butterbeer. At Theme Park Alchemy, their products are designed to conjure up all of your best theme park memories. You see, their mission statement is, smell captures memory, memory begets nostalgia, nostalgia breeds stories, and stories are magic. They invoke the spirits of your favorite theme parks and rides, current or long gone, and they inspire pleasant memories for theme park fans all over. Take Kong, for example. The scent's meant to conjure up memories of shady tram stations, city streets, burning helicopters, and that uniquely scented banana breath. Surprisingly pleasant scent will fill your home with nostalgia and a smoky banana fragrance. It's inspired by the now-defunct, action-packed attraction in which you narrowly escape an incredible animatronic gorilla. Order now and add Monster Kids in the promo code and you'll receive 15% off any order over $15. So what are you waiting for? Go to www.themeparkalchemy.com. It's a perfect holiday gift. Special thanks once again to Ernie Magnata. Make sure you order your copy of the book Halloween, The Changing Shape of an Iconic Series at www.halloweenchangingshape.com. Music was written and produced by my good friend and fellow monster kid, Michael McCormick. You can learn more about his talents at www.michaelmccormick.com. Thank you for joining us, and please make sure you like and share with all of your fellow monster kids out there. And if you'd like to be a future guest or just want to drop us a line, send it to wearemonsterkids at gmail.com. Monster Kids, our next episode is in production. So, until next time, we'll be lurking for you.